incredible in seeing. Um, we're going to start um, a three-part series called Here to Help, and it's going to be about um, the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit will help us um, in our interaction um, and with people and how it evolves and, and changes who we are and transforms our life. Um, <clears throat> but I think before we go into that, I think it's just worth mentioning uh, today is uh, the day of Pentecost. Um, it's one of those three major um, ancient uh, festivals that the, um, the Jews celebrated. And it, the first was uh, the Passover, and then there was the Pentecost, and then the, the Tabernacle, the Feast of the Tabernacles. Um, so this is uh, one of those. Uh, the Pentecost comes from the, the word, um, uh, the Greek word Pentecoste, which means 50th. And it's actually um, the 50th day uh, after Passover when the Holy Spirit came down and, and uh, uh, baptized the disciples in the upper room with, uh, with, uh, with his presence. So in effect, it is the birthday of the church that we are celebrating. We celebrate a lot of times the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Christmas, and, you know, yeah, but we, we should celebrate uh, uh, the birth of the church, actually. It was called the, the Antioch. Uh, it was the place. It was the first multi-ethnic, multi-racial um, church that uh, came into being. And uh, um, uh, it was very inclusive of each and every Gentile, Jew, man, woman, whatever. There was no uh, distinction in how we could... Um, reach out and have the same blessing and the same communion with God through Christ and through the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> so briefly, I will just talk about a little bit more on the Pentecost and explain to you uh, what happened at the Pentecost and what was the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, and then go on to explain how the Holy Spirit fits into the Godhead um, in the Trinity, um, because it's critical to understand that. Um, and then... Uh, go on to talk about how we, as, a, as, as, as ones that are made in the image of God, what is the inside of us? We uh, are a triune being like God is. So uh, just to understand how the spirit, soul, and body work, and then go into a little testimony before I close. Um, <clears throat> so follow me. It might be a, a little... Um, heavy, but uh, hopefully you'll be with me on this. But let me know if, uh, if I get too heavy. But um, uh, so the Pentecost, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, um, uh, when the Pentecost happened, uh, it was on uh, Mount Sinai when Moses came down. Uh, Exodus uh, 32, 28 tells us at some point when the, the law was given in the Ten Commandments, 3,000 lost their lives. Um, and uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was this... Uh, what Paul uh, referred to as the ministry of uh, death and condemnation that came, um, mainly because uh, uh, of how uh, pure and holy God was and how impure uh, and distant we were from who he was to some degree. But with the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit came on the Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved when when, when Peter started preaching and, the, and, and, uh, and uh, you know, in the upper room, the Holy Spirit came and baptized those. And so many people came and accepted who Christ was. And, and, uh, and, and then it was called the ministry of life and, and righteousness. 
So it's just fascinating to me that every time I think of, of these comparisons, like 3,000, and then 3,000 gave their life to Christ. It just fascinates me of this logical consistencies, these prophecies over years and years that come to, to pass um, as we go along in the, uh, in the Bible. There's, you know, there's so many authors. There's 40 over authors, 66 books, and there's so much that is still in line. It's amazing. Almost, it is a work of God. It's so clear. In, in, in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, um, yeah, it says, uh, <clears throat> He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, the letter here is referring to the law, which was written on the heart. So, the, the, when the, the Ten Commandments that was given, uh, that was the law. And uh, it's referring to that. Uh, so, there is this aspect that the letter kills, and therefore, he, the, Paul referred to it as the ministry of death to sometimes. But even in that, there was so much glory that came down. But how much more of that glory will come down when 3,000 more give their life to Christ and the Spirit gives life in the New Testament once Jesus came into being? So it's, uh, but the Spirit gives life. How did the Spirit across the ages, how do we relate to it? And what is different? Um, was there anything different at all? Because, you know, uh, it says Jesus existed, you know, yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same. He's unchanging. But in relation to us, what happened at the Pentecost? It was, you find there is a little aspect of discontinuity from, um, but, sorry, there is continuity when Jesus came in. But there is also an aspect of discontinuity um, post the Pentecost. And, and what really is the continuity part? The continuity is that in the Old Testament, whenever the word spirit was used, it was always used as the spirit of God, or, or the Hebrew word was ruach, uh, was used, and it was always, always, always referred to as the wind of God, or the breath of God, when, you know, when he created Adam, and he breathed, you know, breathed into life into him. Um, there was also this aspect where, um, you know, Ezekiel breathes life into uh, in the dry bones. So there's a lot of life that comes into the breath. And um, there's also the wind of God that comes in and overflows and hovers around. And that is also a reference. There's this aspect, ruach, it typically means, uh, well, in Hebrew means energy to some degree. It's, it's that aspect of the um, spirit of God that existed. <clears throat> but the spirit of God in the Old Testament, you will see uh, in Psalm 91, uh, Psalm 51, David says, let not your spirit depart from me. So in effect, it's saying that at all times, the spirit was not in everyone. It came and it descended on a few prophets. It descended on a few people, but it also left them. It was not always uh, with them uh, or in them. And so he was extra personal at that point in time. The spirit of God was extra personal. Um, and you find in the, in the uh, New Testament, the discontinuity comes in just with, with that difference. Well, you know, with the continuity in the Old Testament, there is this aspect where whatever the prophets had hoped for in, and, and had prophesied over, whatever in the New Testament refers to that aspect of fulfilling of prophecies with the breath and the, and the wind of God, that is continuous in the Old Testament. 
But in the New Testament, you find you start referring to the Spirit with an adjective called holy in front of it as well. So there's the Holy Spirit and, 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 and what changes with that. Um, mainly the, ma- the major distinctive part that comes in um, is who Jesus is and what he did on the cross for us. And that critical work of Jesus on the cross changes how we relate to the Spirit of God. He then now becomes a personal God who indwells in us and is within us, which was not the case before. We have that privilege, that amazing um, honor to have the Spirit of God that is in us at all times if we are saved and if we have our salvation. Um, and in John 14, 16 and 17, uh, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Uh, and you know, God is also referred to as God is truth in, in other scripture. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and, be will, and will be in you. So he's with us, but he's also in us once we accept Christ as our savior. That is a huge difference in how we relate to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Um, and what it says about here, he will send us another advocate. When, and this is uh, Jesus uh, speaking, so it means another. What does that lead us? That means there is Jesus, but then he's talking about another. And then uh, as, as Rohan uh, also used that scripture when he says, it is good for me to leave you so that I can send the Holy Spirit that will be with you. So there is this aspect that is distinct between the Holy Spirit and Jesus, as well as God, the Father. So there you have this very complex um, God, in a way, that our finite minds cannot completely fathom. Um, He is an infinite God. He's beyond us to completely, and he's a mystery. Um, But in our... The, 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 the concept of the Trinity is, is what we're going to talk about here. It is, it is, um, it is it's, it's not easily understood, but it is plain and simple uh, to some degree. Uh, we have God the Father, and you have God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's this triune being within the Godhead. What does that mean to us? So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Um, <clears throat> so it's one being, but three persons, right? It's still one being, three persons. It's one what, but three who's, if, if you understand that. Um, you know, the C.S. Lewis, uh, he says that um, the Trinity is like the sun. It is hard to look at it, um, but because of it, it's easy to see everything, you know? So it's complex for us to fathom and look at it and see it through and through and understand it. But through it, we're able to see everything clearly. He uses another analogy um, of why it is critical to have the triune being and how that makes a difference in, in who we worship. And I'm just going to, he uses the analogy <clears throat> of um, a cube. So he says, if you have one dimension, you can get like straight lines. But if you 
add on a second dimension, you can get a box. So for example, we've got this and up to, so you have a box here, but it's still two dimensional. But when you add another layer of another dimension, the third dimension, what you can go from this dimension and what we understand to a third dimension, which is a cube, with, which completely changes. But it's hard for us to see it in that dimension. So with each added dimension, the complexity um, increases, but also what can happen within that complexity is unfathomable, but, but so much better. So we may not be able to wrap our heads around it completely, um, but what it is is God the Father, uh, he says, is, is the one we pray to. The Holy Spirit within us is the one that urges us to pray, right? And, and Jesus is the bridge. So, so uh, you have, uh, within the, in Scripture, you know, you have uh, in Deuteronomy 6, 4 and, and Genesis 1 and 26, you have uh, the, says, the Lord your God is one. Right? Very clear. God is one. But then in Genesis 1.26, it also says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So the first one, he says God is one, but then he's also saying let us. Um, is that a contradiction? No, it's not. It's, it's um, they say bad grammar is good theology, apparently. Some of the theologians say that. But uh, uh, so it's, it's a little hard to, uh, to understand it. But do you understand? Uh, it's not a contradiction, but it's something that we have to wrap our heads around. Because if we didn't have it, then if we have a personal God who lives within us and that one that we can actually love and, and at times grieve, then with this, you have a God who is relational in his first cause. So there was communication, there was affection, there was love in the, in the first cause. Uh, that is, um, before he created the world, right? Time, space, and matter. He, he exists outside time, space, and matter. Before he created this, um, and in fact, it's, it's interesting to see there's a trinity of trinities even within that. Time is past, present, and future. You know, space is length, breadth, and width. And then you talk about uh, matter. It's liquid, solid, and gas. So there's a trinity of trinities even in what he created. You know? So he exists outside time, space, and matter. But, but then in, in, in this aspect, there was love and relationship and communication within the Godhead in the first cause. So when he created us, there was the same love preceding life. Every other worldview has life that precedes love. It's the only way where, where if you, you know, the philosophical question could be if God was a loving God before he created us, who was he loving? So in that, in that respect, it is, it is, it's so crucial to have Godhead that is um, <clears throat> triune and, and is relational. And Ravi Zacharias describes uh, yeah, he, says, he says these words, there is, there is unity in diversity in the community of the Trinity. There's both mystery and majesty. And, and I think that is, that is so 
so beautifully put together um, in, in, in a few words. If you think of a painting, there's one theme, but there's many colors. And if you think of music, there's one harmony, but many instruments. So in some ways, if, if, we, if we understand, you know, that he is a triune God and we are made in the image of God, then we ought to be triune as well. And what does that mean then? That means that we have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. So as we are made in the image of God, there's a trinity within us as well. There's a triune being within us as well. And uh, so, so, so if, if that be the case, um, I, I, have, have, have any of you, you, you know, come across the question on trying to decipher what is the spirit and what is the soul and, and where is the body and, and, and who is your personality and, and all of these things, what is your heart, what is your mind? You know, there's a lot of questions, there's a lot of, a lot of different worldviews that will come up with different ideas and some of it will be very confusing. It's very hard to understand. Um, but actually the Bible is fairly clear about it. Um, it is not so difficult to understand that. First um, Thessalonians 5.23 uh, talks about, it says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, your soul, and your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what does it say here? Think about this. It's, it's clearly, clearly delineating your whole spirit, your soul, and your body. Soul and your spirit is intangible. Can we actually find the difference? At what point the soul becomes spirit and the spirit becomes soul? Can we figure that out? And I was listening to some uh, thing called the Abraham Hicks, um, or I think it's the secret, just to understand how some of the other worldviews try to, try to see it. And, it was, and they clearly say it was, it was too difficult to, uh, to, to make that delineation in this one little a clip I saw. But within the Godhead, uh, within us, um, we find that God, according to um, John 4, 24, God is spirit, right? So God is spirit, and we have a spirit, soul, and body. So if I'm just going to make another, could you guys see it from there? I don't know if you can. Uh, no? Okay, well, let me try and, is that better? No, I think I'll lose those guys here. Okay, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, set. Oh, sorry. Okay, um, I will just kind of, so say this is God, and this is your spirit, your soul, and your body. So the question was, can we delineate the soul and the spirit? And we find in um, Hebrews 4.12, um, it mentions, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and spirit. Joints and marrow, 
It judges the thoughts and the attributes of the heart. So, the word of the God is a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit. So clearly, the Bible sees how and, and, and you uh, delineate the spirit from the soul. <clears throat> Are you guys with me so far? Yeah? Okay, cool. Um, <clears throat> so what is the spirit within you? What is the soul? What is your body? Like I said, we are a spirit. God is spirit. We are a spirit. John uh, 4, 8, it says uh, God is a... Uh, uh, 424, sorry. Um, it says uh, God is a spirit. We are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. What is the soul? The soul is you. Distinctly you. It is uh, your ego, or in Greek, called ego. It is one that you cannot share with anyone. Um, it is your, your mind, it is your intellect, your emotions, your conscience, um, uh, yeah, your, your will as well. So this is the decision maker, right? This is your personality in effect. This is who the soul is. So your mind, your will, your intellect, your emotions, your conscience, all of that is your soul. Your body is the one that has the five senses. It's the, the aspect that is carnal, that stays here, right? So your spirit is the one that communes with God. If you are saved and if you have your salvation, if you accept Christ, then the Holy Spirit uh, through God will come and reside in you permanently. So you have the Spirit within you. Your soul, if you're not saved, your, your soul is basically kind of dark. Your body is depraved. You're right? And your spirit is dead. So if you are living like that, in effect, what you're doing is your soul is the one being dictated by your body mainly, your senses, what you feel at the moment, what your you know, uh, senses tell you, you go and do, right? Your intellect and your rationality and all of that is dictated by your body, right? And it's carnal because Adam sinned and everything ever since then, it came into our... But when we accept Christ as our savior, so at the moment when your spirit is dead inside you, it's more mainly the body trying to dictate how you make your decisions, how you feel about stuff, you know, uh, what is your conscience telling you. It's being dictated. This is the one that is interacting with the world, and this is the one that's being dictating. It's dictating your soul. It's dictating you and how you go about leading your life. But the point where you give your life to Christ, then your spirit comes alive, and your spirit merges with the Spirit of God, or the Holy Spirit, comes and resides in you, so your spirit suddenly becomes alive, right? Your soul lightens up, you know, your decision-making, your emotions, all of that begins to change. Now, when we talk about when you have your salvation, you accept Christ as your Savior, when you got baptized, some of you, you know, and, and read about that, um, 
what changed when we talk about a new birth or being born again what was born again it was your spirit right it was not not your body not your soul you were still you if you're bad at mathematics you will still remain bad at mathematics if you're uh, you know if you have anger issues you're going to have anger issues even then it's not going to change what is changed within you is your spirit is alive and your spirit is born again and in that new birth in your spirit what's now communes with god and the holy spirit has come within you you can't feel the spirit you know and sometimes when you can't you don't have a radio here if we had fm if you had a radio we played it you'll actually catch the radio waves but we don't have one you don't know that it exists you know because we don't sense it but that doesn't mean it's not there energy we don't sense it sometimes but doesn't mean it's not there so what does that mean the spirit is alive now how do we continue to renew our minds the, the bible tells us how do you start shifting from this guy or your body dictating to your soul to the spirit becoming louder in your in your soul the spirit beginning to dictate to you uh, and tell you and guide you actually doesn't dictate it's more gentle the spirit is gentle um, but can you your heart, the the ears of your heart get enlightened and how do you do that how do you start making your ears more tuned to what the spirit has to say if you look at romans um, 12 1 and 2 It says therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship do not conform to the pattern of this world and conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you will be able to test and approve what's God's will his good and pleasing and perfect will so what do you do do not conform to the pattern of the world stop listening so much to you you know your your body is the one that's going to tell you i did it my way you know autonomous part of your body like i am the captain of my soul that's the part whereas now you start listening to what the spirit has to say how do you do that if your mirror is here right you're facing this way you're going to get the carnal aspects but if you switch your mirror and put the word of god here and you start reading the word of god it begins to renew your mind it begins to change who you are it begins slowly this process doesn't change overnight this will take forever your spirit is alive but this one will take a while and you will continue to do it for the rest of your lives till you're with christ but until then it will change who you become as a person it will begin to to renew your minds it will change the way you interact with the world it will change um and bring about the fruits of the spirit um but when you also accept in christ as, as your savior what is happening there's five things that really happen one is the circumcision of the heart you know so, uh, when in in colossians 2:11 and and uh, it says we get circumcised with the circumcision made without hands so basically the circumcision of the heart and in the bible whenever you hear um, you know the, the the word heart 
Actually, the word heart is normally referring to your soul. It is referring to your mind as well. You know, in English, we tend to see it as, as your, you know, your intellect. But typically in the Bible, your heart is always referring to, to also, it's called lev in Hebrew. But um, it's, it's, it's also referring to, to how your, uh, your intellect, your, your conscience, um, your, your, your will and your emotions, your decision making, all of that is what, you know, out of the heart uh, spring the issues of life. And you want the issues of life to start springing from the spirit. Yeah. So in order to do that, you start renewing your mind. Five things are happening. You have the circumcision of the heart. So in effect, when you have the circumcision, you're cutting this off and you're being engulfed by this as opposed to being engulfed by those two in the, in the natural realm. Um, then you have a, a regeneration of your spirit. That means the spirit that was dead is now alive through a regeneration of your spirit. You have the indwelling of the spirit, a Holy Spirit within you. The Holy Spirit, which was coming and going or didn't exist within you, is now permanently indwelling within you. So that's important. And then you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit as well. There's, you have had the water baptism, but there's also, when Jesus got baptized, the Holy Spirit came and water baptized, he rested on him as well. But when the, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened with, uh, with the disciples at that time, it was just the wind of God and the Holy Spirit that came upon them. It was different. Uh, and then, of course, there is a sealing of your soul with the spirit. Uh, and, 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 and that is the, th the fifth part that happens. In Galatians 5.22, as we continue to renew our mind, we find the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And all of these things are ones that you will start to see, you know, because you will, you know, your spirit is regenerated, but you will still irritate people. You know, your spirit is, uh, you know, regenerated but you would still be quite uh, quite a mess and you would still offend people you know so as you kind of die, start doing this slowly that will change how you interact with people will change you know it doesn't matter to god the fact is the god sees you as as um, pure and holy he sees you by the faith that you've received by grace it's not by your works not anything you do good will will make a difference in how god is seeing you once you've accepted him as a gift uh, you've accepted salvation as a gift, you've confessed, it changes who you are. So I, I, want, to, I want to kind of um, just, you know, bring about a little bit of a, a story that uh, from, from a few um, years ago, while I was still sailing, uh, I was on this ship, um, and we were, we were transiting from, uh, uh, just we were in this lonely lagoon uh, in, uh, in Abidjan. And it's, it's uh, Cote d'Ivoire uh, is the country. Uh, does everyone know where that is? Of course, everyone does. Just in case anyone didn't, then, I, then I'll just show you where that is. Uh, and, and, and you see right here, that was the, that was the town there, Abidjan. It was a port on the West African coast. And uh, we, were, uh, we were anchored for the night in this uh, fairly um, lonely little anchorage with no lights and, uh, and the visibility was very poor. And through the night, what, uh, we had watchmen all around. But the issue in West Africa is um, there's a lot of um, stories at times that we find uh, that leave our, uh, get onto ships so that they can, they can escape for a better life. Um, because, you know, everyone's situation is different. Um, and so um, and, and we had through the night, I get a call at 12 o'clock at night. We'd finished our cargo work two days in, um, in port. And uh, we were... Uh, <coughs> Uh, fairly tired, 
all of us, uh, there's only 20, 25 people on the ship at that point in time. And uh, right after cargo work, two days of work, uh, six on, six off, fairly sleep deprived, we get a call from the port, port authority saying, we suspect there are four stowaways. And these are, some of these guys can be criminals as well. Uh, some of them have been to jail multiple times. They've tried to stow in other ships, been locked up and then gone and tried to stow in another one. So they can be dangerous now. Uh, <clears throat> so we had a call and then, uh, of course, we sounded the seven short, one prolonged blast, which is the emergency um, uh, you know, call on the ship. And we uh, divided into teams of two and uh, started searching for these guys. Um, we found two, and then one guy, uh, literally from 20 meters above the, the water, jumped off overboard and started swimming away. Uh, and then we found uh, four in total, right? So we thought it's all sorted. Uh, now we've got four. One of them actually was a 16-year-old uh, little Moroccan kid, uh, which I felt really bad for because he was, he, he was not even a professional. Uh, and and he, was, he was heading back. He tried to find his mother who would... Uh, you know, moved from Morocco all the way to the Ivory Coast somehow, and they didn't find her, and he was trying to stow back. He, they thought that our vessel was heading back to North Europe, but actually, um, uh, our vessel was not going that way. We were actually heading to, to the, the Far East. Um, but what happens is, uh, we find these four guys, and you wouldn't believe in places that they were hiding, and they, they are so tenacious, and they are so stealthy in some ways that it's amazing. So we find these four guys, we land them ashore, we sail out of the, the port, and uh, I'm heading towards, uh, could you go back? Yeah, on that one. Thank you. Uh, we were heading to Luanda, and when I'm out here somewhere there, um, we continue the patrols uh, to, to, to make sure that we don't have any more. And if we, we, we find that um, uh, there's some bolts on one of the decks that has been opened, and uh, so we suspect there's some more we find and get into this deep recess in the on the vessel and we see six eyeballs there. And six of those guys, they come out and you saw a picture of four of them here right now. And we were, what we were supposed to do then is, I thought I would turn the vessel around, take them back into the port I got them from, because if we were to take them to any other port, um, then you, can, you, you, want, you can't land them because uh, no port will want to accept them because it's really expensive to, to, to send them back. And then I would have to sail with them for over one, one and a half month. If something happens to them, I could be charged for manslaughter. Uh, if, uh, you know, uh, you, you have to make sure you treat them well to some degree. But at the same time, you can't make them work uh, either because of international regulations. So then you're stuck with this. I try and turn the vessel around to head back to Abidjan. And I said, well, we found four of these guys last night, a couple of hours ago. I found six more. I'm getting the vessel back. And uh, we will offload these guys. And they say, well, no. We are not willing to accept those guys. And um, I was like, wait, clearly they're from your port. Why wouldn't you accept them? And they didn't. And um, so uh, I had no option, but then we had to start looking around for where we could land these stowaways and not sail another 30 days to the Far East or after Lovanda, because Lovanda in Angola, which is where we were heading, also refused to accept them. And so then, um, thankfully, we found a port that was willing to accept them, which is San Pedro right here. And uh, when we went to San Pedro, uh, summer, uh, this is now at 10 o'clock at night, and we were communicating on the walkie-talkie. One of the stowaways heard, overheard that uh, we are diverting the vessel to San Pedro as opposed to Loanda. And uh, they suddenly became really, really, really violent. And uh, we managed to, uh, to, to get them into one room, uh, and uh, they started banging the windows and everything like that. Now, I had two watchmen out there on the, on the, on the, on the room that we had kind of locked them up in, to, but, but, you know, we had to do that. And... Um, 
uh, we 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 had a, this guy had put like literally you know these 1.5 ton lashings. He had 10 of them on that. His state of <laughs> he was kind of really jittery and a little scared because he was keeping this uh, at night. He was he's wondering if they'll break break through the the portholes at night and get out. So um, I, that's when I felt like okay, I need to go down. And at 10 o'clock at night, I asked this guy to um, remove all the lashings on that um, door. And I and I and I and I felt the Lord tell me, go in right now alone. Uh, and uh, there were six of them right now at night. And later we found one more at night, which was uh, which uh, which was uh, one guy hanging on the containers, walking up and down. Another guy who thought he was uh, hallucinating, but actually was a real person. But th because after 240 man hours in two days of work of searching, a ship is really like huge. You know, you got 300 meters of a of a vessel uh, with 20 people. That's it's unbelievable how many spaces you can hide in. Um, and so we, we kind of were scared as well if they pulled out a knife or something. So, so I went and, and I felt the super, uh, Holy Spirit tell me, open up, ask them to open up their bags. And so uh, I told them to do that. And it obviously was not my body because I was not as strong as these guys and I would be beaten up. Uh, so it was clearly it didn't make sense, so it must be the spirit. Um, and so, so, so uh, I asked them to open the bags, and as soon as I started seeing, it's interesting what they have in their bag, and I won't keep the story short here, but um, one of the things that came out from their bag was, it was, a, it was a Bible, and I saw another guy who had a cross on his neck. And so uh, I felt, I told them, start logging down everything you have in your bags, and I went up, and, and I felt the Spirit of the Lord tell me, go and print out Psalm 91 and give it to these guys. Uh, and, and the reason was because they told me they didn't want to go to San Pedro because that was a jail where they were put into a jail which is about that big, right? Just about that much, uh, hardly three meters by three meters, stuffed into like sardines where they could not even sit down and sleep if they wanted to. They were kept in jail like that to make it so bad for them um, for days together, like sardines. And, and if you had to go, they had to eat there. They had to pass all of their nature's calls within that space and sleep there. If one had to sleep, the other had to get up. And that was, and they showed me a couple of scars on their face and how they'd be treated over there. So, so you know, they kept telling me that don't take us there, don't take us there. And uh, I had no option at that point in time. And I, I felt, um, that's when the Holy Spirit told me, either you tell them the truth or you tell them till the night, get them calm. You know, the option was, and, and let them know, I'm taking them to Luanda, but actually show up in San Pedro. They wouldn't know where I took them. Um, but I felt I have to tell them the truth. And I told them the truth, and I said, I can do my best. And I would speak to, uh, you know, the, the authorities to treat you well. Um, as, as soon as I came back and I gave them the Psalm 91, their countenance completely changed. And I, I'll show you this picture here. Initially, they were, you know, uh, if you go on to this next one. What you see in their hand now is two printouts of Psalm 91, which is a psalm that talks about protection. Um, and I said, well, I can't do so much as much to, to, to change uh, what is within my uh, sphere of influence. Um, and I have to take you there, but here's what I can do, and I can give you the Psalm 91, and I can make sure that the authorities uh, will treat you well. Um, but somehow, amazingly, their countenance changed. They just had peace. Before that, four of them began to calm down a little bit. Two of them were really, really going at it. And uh, somehow, uh, this just changed their countenance. They were peaceful till the night. In the morning when we reached there, um, and at 10 o'clock in the morning, they had started again 
getting a little violent. They wanted breakfast and stuff like that. But it's amazing, for 30 days, they would have lasted on, on one can of sardines, one Coke, and a, a little bit of gari, which is a root crop, uh, and, and a little bit of biscuits. For 30 days in one place, that's how strong they are. They could have lasted for that much. We had the authorities board the vessel at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and we had uh, a few of the guys. Now they refuse to get off the ship. And um, I finished the formalities with the authorities and the, the immigration customs already came to them. And I asked, uh, and that's when I had this other guy, you know, who's one of my chief officers. Uh, and uh, he said, uh, uh, he told me, Captain, uh, he's, uh, you know, these guys need to be treated really, put in their place and beaten up a little bit, and, you know, get them off. And then this guy is a big burly guy, you know, a bearded guy, typically what you would associate with a, the real burly seafarer, unlike uh, uh, my clean-shaven face right now. And, uh, and, and, and so this guy had been screaming in them, and these guys just got tougher by that. And then we had the immigration authorities with their uniforms as well as their pistols and the guns, and they had all the power and authority they had. And they're trying to get these guys off, they're not getting off. That's when I came, and then they suddenly saw me, and they... they they completely turned their backs on everybody else, and they said, Captain, you tell us something. You talk to us. And, uh, and that's when I said to them that I, I respected what they were doing and where they were coming from. And it was my role to, to do what I have to do but it was, and, and to prevent them from joining, to, to board the vessel. But they had boarded the vessel, so I respected what they were doing and where they were going. But uh, I could only pray for them. And, and, and I have to admit, uh, I, I kept my eyes open. And I said, I will pray for you. <laughs> and I, uh, just in case, you know, uh, you know the, there was a few Christians, and, uh, you know, but I think, uh, you know, by name or otherwise, I didn't know. Um, but I, I, I prayed for them uh, as, uh, after the night, and I prayed for them, and uh, uh, they immediately decided to leave the vessel. Because every hour that we were not sailing, we were losing and draining money. Uh, for the company. And uh, that's when I, this scripture really, really, really came alive to me. Um, because they had their story. Everyone has a story. Everyone's got to do their part. And you know, that's when we had the might. I had this big guy. He was willing to do and beat them up a little bit. But it was not by might. We had the authorities. We had these uh, guys with their pistols and their guns and the immigration authorities. They were going to take them later. They were going to mistreat them if they didn't get on felt. But they had the power. But it was not by power. But sometimes, when you pray for them, by their spirit, by his, by his spirit, you find that people turn around. And that's really when this scripture in Zechariah 4, 6 came alive to me. It's not by might. It's not by power. But by his spirit, says the Lord. And, uh, and that's what I would encourage you to. You know, just... Go after um, the Spirit of the Lord. Ask for wisdom and direction. Uh, ask for His leading. Ask for His presence. Show love. Show grace. And that can change the most hardened hearts. It can change hearts that have, have, have experienced so much that they, they're, they're so tough. But, but, but when, when, when there is the Spirit of the Lord that comes upon them, and when you treat them with love and respect, and you give them the word, things change. Yeah. And so I would just encourage you, um, as you, as you go about your life, whether it's at work, whether it's in your situations, call upon the Lord, call upon His Spirit, and continue to renew your mind uh, with the Word of God as you seek after Him. And uh, I believe, you know, He will continue to 
um, to change your situation. <laughs> and uh, thank you for just being a patient.